Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me. It's Don. Yeah. Traveler's Art Podcast. Got another great story to share with you. I love this one, to be honest. It, it, uh, you know, it moves through time and talks about some really neat experiences I had and people I met. Uh, before we dive into that, though, you know, I wanted to share with you, I've had some frustration with uh, the what's going on in the travel world in general. <laughs> Just like you can't travel. It's like a bummer. I've been looking at doing uh, trips to Sri Lanka to dive some of the uh, the wrecks there in Sri Lanka, which are vast and numerous. And I was thinking about going off to the Philippines to maybe do some diving there too. Well, that's not happening because of the quarantine issues and the visa issue and the letters you have to write. And I'm like, man, the juice is not worth the squeeze. So I got a little down. But then I was reminded of something I used to do when I was kind of early in my photography career. I used to do these pitches like proposals on photo projects I thought would be really interesting for news agencies or magazines. In essence, I basically pitched them on a project idea that I wanted to photograph. So I'd have to do all this research. I'd have to find out, you know, who the audience is, why should people care, uh, the general scope, potential budget constraints. It was a fabulous experience to learn how to do. And I was cranking these things out early in my career. One, two a week was not uncommon. Now, these are like one to three page documents. Um that included, you know, financials and scheduling and, and, you know, a lot of things like this. And some of these I'd present like six months in advance because one, the money might take that long to drop into the project. And when I came up with the idea, it wasn't going to happen for six months because of the season or something similar. But in short, it was a great experience and I still use that technique today to, I get an idea I'd like to do an unusual hike or I'd like to do an unusual a tour of something. I really dive in and I look at it from a very research standpoint, like a like a discovery process. And it really helps me get more out of when I go traveling because I know a lot more about what I'm getting into. Now I'm not talking about hotels and the great place to buy that trinket that's just going to go on the shelf that eventually ends up in the landfill. What I'm talking about is the cultural history of that citadel, the cultural history of that road you're actually walking on. What was going on in this place 300 years ago? If you're going to Egypt, what was going on 5,000 years ago? That just like blows my mind. So the research ends up becoming this huge soil by which the seeds of adventure can take root and blossom into a crop that we can harvest to enrich ourselves. And that's nourishing our soul and our greater sense of understanding about the human experience. So this isn't a time to throw up your hands like I did. Take it from me, it was a waste of time. But it is the time that you can do research, that you can take the time to discover what you want to do. I did a podcast about that in the past. I brought it up a few times before. But you really, really encourage you, curate your own trip. And this is a great time to do that. If you need help doing that, just drop me a message and I'll be glad to give you a hand. I should also, you know, I think I might I might also do a, uh, a little podcast on the kind of like people ask me, like, what do you bring? My answer is as little as fucking possible. And yet I still find myself with 
tons of shit. Not really. Um, if you can't carry it on your back, you're probably carrying too much. All right. So let's talk about today's story, everyone. All right. So this story has some incredible moments in it. And, you know, I had to really be careful I didn't go down these rabbit holes. And I still think I did. But I think if if we can take this podcast and bring it into our everyday life, but also our travel life, I think you're going to have a hard time going wrong because this is a core fundamental. It's like at the hub of like a spoked wheel. It's really important. Do this and a lot of other things will take care of themselves. This story is called The Smell of the Rain. Walking through the narrow Hauptstrasse, which is German for a pedestrian mall, I was watching people mingle and talk. I grabbed a lunch sandwich from a street vendor and marveled in the taste of something so simple as bread, sausage, and mustard, and washed it down with a cold beer. It was a warm and sunny day, and summer had arrived in full force in Heidelberg, Germany. I had been living in the country for two months while attending university, and I was really enjoying my time here so far. I had established some new friendships and was involved with a cycling club, and so I was getting to see a tremendous amount of the German countryside through the club's long rides and social activities. On Sunday mornings, there was a really large group ride. Close to 80 riders would get together and ride through the countryside. It was almost like a little mini tour de France. I love the sound of bicycles as they ride in large groups. People would be talking, jokes would be being made. Sometimes we would ride really hard and sometimes we would just pedal along. Seeing the world on a bicycle is a wonderful experience because you move faster than walking, but slow enough to see the details. It's also usually a pretty quiet experience. Many of the rides would end at some sort of cafe or restaurant where the riders would order a beer and sausage. At first, I thought this was crazy. I was mentored with the idea of sports nutrition, but Olaf, my really good friend and cycling buddy, said to me, Donald, we ride to be together, to tour the country and to come to the cafe to enjoy each other's company and a good German beer and a sausage. This is a healthy and balanced way of living. I thought about it and it really shifted my perspective. No one here was going to be the next Tour de France winner. It really was about the community, living a good life and being together. Cycling just happened to be the excuse. I ordered what Olaf had. I hung up the phone, walked outside, and walked down the street. I have been struggling with a relationship that I had back home. To put it bluntly, the separation of my time in Germany from that relationship back in the United States had shown that my girlfriend at that time had some deep-seated insecurity issues that were fueled by fantasy-based thinking. It was beginning to weigh on me as like anyone 
you can only reassure someone so much before you become exhausted. This, combined with consistent passive accusations of my behavior, was wearing me thin. You know, for some context, my trip to Germany was known well in advance and was a requirement for the program I was studying. I had discussed at length her feelings and concerns, etc. I asked her, did she want to end the relationship? Did she want to open it up? Did she want to stay together? I personally am always suspect of romance on the road. That's not to say it hasn't happened, but I just really proceed with caution. In the end, for me, the focus was about being in Germany and the program I was studying. Because of this, I was carrying a deep burden on my shoulders, and I was really starting to irritate me. I continued to walk down the road, lost in my thoughts. sitting at a cafe I had been to a few times before. There was a road crew out front laying a new cobblestone street right out in front, and it was absolutely fascinating to watch. I'd actually come here because I was heading out for a long solo ride into the rolling hills of central and southern Germany. My plan was to ride a road that had been used by dignitaries and church leaders over 200 years ago, then take a train back after a late lunch. As I sat at the cafe, I marveled at how this orchestra of road workers slowly yet efficiently made a street made of sand, granite stones about the size of a softball, put them tightly together and made a road with no concrete or tar, just sand, stone, and pressure. So there was a bed layer who used a earth pounder to pack the soil that the road would lay on. Then there was a man who put pea-sized gravel on the packed dirt and leveled it with a wide, push-like rake that had a long handle. Then there was the stone layer who sat on a one-legged stool and put the stones into place. He would turn each stone until he found the shape that would fit with the previous stones laid. He also had a fascinating hammer. One of the ends had a large, heavy-looking head, a little bit bigger and heavier than a framing hammer. Then the other end was a blade that was horizontal to the hammerhead. Imagine a wood hatchet, but the blade is turned 90 degrees. It actually kind of looked like a geologist hammer, but way heavier. He would look at the stone, find the shape he thought best, and loosely place it in the pea gravel next to the other stones. If it fit, he would tap it into place with the hammer and then push the pea gravel with the hammer's blade to the base of the stone to hold it in place. If it didn't fit because of some small protrusion, that's where the blade came into effect. He would use the blade to chip away the portion that needed to be removed, then place it in the row. As the road grew and the stone layer added more and more stones, a man would come by and sprinkle down fine sand and brush it along the newly laid stones. The sand would begin to fall in the gaps between the stones. After a few sweeps of the broom in the sand, a man with a small water sprayer would come by and spray water on the stones. The water would flow down the gaps of the stones, dragging with it the current sand in the gaps and even more sand. 
It would sweep it again, repeat the water, until no more sand could fit. It was like watching a dance. I just stood in my cycling clothes watching. Then the stone layer looked at me and asked me to come over. He handed me the hammer, had me sit on the one-legged stool, handed me a stone, and asked me to place it. I tried a few times, and it was a dismal placement. <laughs> and he laughed. I laughed too. Try again, he said. I pulled it out, pushed the pea gravel back up, turned the stone, placed it, then tapped it, and pushed some gravel to support it. He smiled. Perfect, he said. I stood up, handed his hammer back, and said thank you. He went back to work without missing a beat. I went inside to pay for my coffee, fill my water bottles, and wash my hands before getting on my bike for my long ride. The woman at the counter who worked at the cafe looked like a Hofbrau girl, and I had such a deep crush on her, I was a mess when I tried to talk to her. If you don't know what a Hofbrau girl looks like, I recommend you do a Google search. She smiled at me as I paid my bill, and I smiled back. So full of shyness, I couldn't even speak. When I went back outside, the road crew had already laid three meters of stone. It was just amazing, I thought to myself. I hung up the phone after a phone call with my girlfriend back in the States. I told her that it is not a good idea for me to be with anyone that is consistently suspect of their partner's behavior where there is little to no evidence to support it. And that essentially, it had become a toxic and corrosive. I told her to feel free to find another partner that is close to her so she can feel safe and confident as she observes and monitors his behavior. I followed up the phone call with a detailed email that I had already written. And then I emailed a family member about really what had happened the last month and the phone call. It was a long email. And honestly, as I think back on it, it was more like an indictment sheet. And then I got back this one sentence email. What does the rain in Germany smell like? I had just finished an amazing ride with the cycling club and was back at my favorite cafe, admiring the new road, knowing that somewhere there was a stone that I had placed in that road. Didn't matter which one it was. That's inconsequential. It's that I was able to participate. That ride that I had just done was so full of an amazing plethora of small details and amazing moments. We rode through a sunflower farm right next to a medieval castle. We crossed a stone bridge that had been used for centuries. I will never forget that ride. I walked into my favorite cafe to pay for a coffee and a small tart as my reward for a good ride. The Hofbrau girl was of course working and as you imagine, I was speechless. She handed me my receipt and the change and then suddenly out of nowhere, the rain started to come down. Clutching my money and receipt, I ran out to move my bike out of the rain. It was then that I could smell the rain on the cobblestones. It had an odor that wasn't like nothing I had smelled before. 
hot stone, sand, earth, but it was clean. I put the clutch change and receipt in my back pocket of my cycling jersey. As soon as the rain had started, it had stopped. I got on my bike and slowly rode home. I noticed so many smells and temperature shifts and humidity shifts. People adjusting from the short rain, umbrellas were shaken and put away. The colors were more vibrant and I was more aware and mindful of everything around me. Back at my house, I put my bike away after wiping it down and letting some of the air out of the tires. I sat on a chair and took off my cycling shoes and socks. I stood up and I emptied the contents of my cycling jersey pockets. There was the change in the receipt. I just put it down on the table. I stripped off my sweaty cycling clothes and took a shower. I had plans for the evening. I was about to walk out of my place to go to dinner when I remembered the change on that table. I walked over, picked it up, was about to throw this receipt away when I noticed there was writing on it. It was the Hofbrau girl's name and phone number from the cafe. I froze in place. My heart started to beat. I walked over to the phone and dialed her number. There was no answer. I dialed one more time and a woman's voice was heard. And it was her. The wind was blowing through the open windows of my restored 1978 VW camper van. It was hot. I was sitting in shorts, no shirt, no shoes. I was driving around northern Arizona on a personal photography trip in the middle of summer. I took mostly rural roads as I was seeking unusual vantage points or a road that would give me access to a stepping off point. As I was driving in the distance, I could see some rain clouds moving across the sky, dumping rain like a broad brush stroking the earth. I started to think about and visualize a possible photograph of this weather pattern. I looked for a small bluff that I could maybe drive up to. Then, just a few drops hit my windshield. Now mind you, it was still sunny where I was, but rain started to fall, and then it got stronger. I pulled over immediately, I got out of the van, standing in just my little running shorts. I let the rain fall on my skin as I raised my face to the sky, and my arms to shoulder height and my palms up to feel the rain fall. I smiled and took a deep breath in through my nose. I immediately smelled things I had never smelled. The dry grass became wet, the soil releasing the smell of organic compounds, the smell of my skin as it mixed with dry sweat and road dust, and of course, the smell of the road itself. Then, I had a flash. It rushed through me. It literally captivated me. I remembered the cobblestone street in Germany and one of the most amazing love affairs of my life with Anna, the German Hofbrau girl who ran that cafe. Those unconnected moments had now become a completely new moment. And one I will never forget.
I tell that story because it brings me back to how important it is to be mindful when we travel. No detail is too small, and often the mundane is what holds the deeper and lasting magic we seek in authentic travel. I will never forget watching the road crew make a cobblestone road and then getting the opportunity to participate. If I had been hustling around trying to see the next site on a guided tour, a curated trip, if I had some laundry list of things that I had to see in the next 15 minutes, if I had been enraptured with my phone, that never would have happened. I will never forget the smell of the rain on the road and the time I spent with Anna. Being in a state of mindfulness allowed me to rethink my relationship with my girlfriend and how it had evolved into something that was unhealthy, even though I was trying to stay in a good state of mental health. When we're mindful, we stay connected to the world around us and the subtle becomes the significant. That'll wrap it up for this episode, everyone. Thanks for listening and sharing this time together as we dive deeper into the understanding and philosophy of travel. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor. If you know one person that's a traveler or dreams of traveling or would benefit from travel, please share this podcast with them. It's easy to do and it doesn't cost you anything. If you want to connect with me, visit my website, thetravelersart.com, or you can send me an email at thetravelersart at gmail.com. I'm going to end this episode with some music that always reminds me of Anna and what the rain on the cobblestone street smelled like. Till next time, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
love getting those voice memos. Thank you. If you want to send me and the rest of the listeners a message, just let us know who you are, what you're doing at the moment. Give me a small detail of something you've noticed, like good food or a person you met or an unusual place. If you're on the road or part of a trip, give us something that you're doing or what you're up to. Try and keep it to a minute or less, and bonus points go to those
Thank you.